Hello and welcome to Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn, and in this special podcast series, I'll be talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the Association's 60-year history whose work means the most to them. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Sunday Times best-selling author Millie Johnson. Hi Millie. Let's start at the beginning. You've said you got your love of reading from your grandparents. Could you tell us which authors they introduced you to? Oh, Enid Blyton. I can remember my nana coming home with Amelia Jane again. She'd picked the sequel rather craftily because I think, I don't know whether she did or not, but I wonder if if she'd picked that one hoping that I'd read the first one after that, which is exactly what happened, you know. Not the famous five and, and things like that. I liked the, the stories. Of, I mean, I was only small anyway, about dolls and, and toy towns. And, you know, it was a different world I could totally escape into. They were magical and, and they meant a lot to me as a child. I loved them. And then I progressed on to Catherine Cookson's. And then when we were on holiday one year, I um, a, a long story, but all our suitcases went missing. And she, my nana came with me and she had a suitcase full of Mills and Boone books. Uh, and I had nothing to read until the, the suitcases arrived. So I started reading her Mills and Bones and I fell absolutely in love with them. So did those writers go on to influence your own writing and how you use your imagination? Oh, totally. Uh, I've always had a thing about woods anyway. I think that's the enchanted wood. I, I, I think woods are very, very romantic. Uh, there's always a bit of magic in my books as well. You know, I, I just put a sprinkle in because there are people that don't want to buy into uh, believing that that sort of thing happened. So I, I give an alternative. I'll say, well, it could be coincidence. It could be a bit of magic. And I've I've always wanted to believe in magic. Uh, as far as um, Catherine Cookson books were concerned, um, yes, they were, they were books that affected me. Um, I remember crying at some of them and it being a freeze frame moment when you think I'm crying because I'm reading some words that people have, have written. And I wanted to make people have emotion when they were reading my books. What I took from Mills and Boone was that I loved the happy ending. I loved the predictability of it. I loved the fact that I knew what was going to happen. I didn't know how. And the how was the interesting part. And sometimes the skill of the writer was so brilliant that I thought oh I'm not, she's not going to get a happy ending this time it's going to there's going to be a swerve at the end because I couldn't see how the the writer could do it and obviously it's a Mills and Boone so they always did so I love the happy ending I love that upsweep of my mood at the end um, and whatever the characters had gone through within the book there was always that happy ending to look forward to so I could sit back and relax into the story and just enjoy getting there well, can you tell us how you came to write your first novel, The Yorkshire Pudding Club? Because that's quite an interesting story, isn't it? <laughs> well, for, for years and years, I'd been throwing things at, at agents trying to uh, to get a book deal, you know, stories that weren't particularly grounded anywhere. I didn't think the North would be very popular. I couldn't write about the South because um, I couldn't write authentically about it because I'd never lived there. So my stories were kind of set in no man's land really and they need to be grounded in a place and I, I was almost on the point of giving it up I thought I've given it my best shot I, I'm not going to get anywhere agents were telling me that my writing was of a publishable quality but my stories were terrible really they, they weren't interesting 
uh, flat. They they were they were really they would really were because I was aping big books at the time about worlds that I knew nothing about. So uh, I got pregnant at the same time as two women that I worked with friends out of the five of us that were friends. Three of us were pregnant at the same time. We all had babies within six weeks of each other. Uh, and we traveled along this pregnancy journey together, ringing each other up for advice. And we all had Miriam Stoppard books that we would um, look at. Oh, God, no, no, it's, you're all right. You're not dying. It's look on page 45. That explains it. So we'd gone through this mad nine months ride. And we were all sitting in my front room after the babies had been born. You know, just the, we're sitting having a cup of tea and a sandwich. The babies were on the mats. And it was just like a thunderbolt hitting me. It was, why aren't you writing about this? Friendships, work colleagues, Barnsley, Yorkshire, pregnancy. And it was almost as if I'd been looking on the horizon for inspiration when all the time it was right in front of me flipping face. So I started to write this story that was half based on uh, us meeting at work and experiences at work. And I sent it off to a, an agent, the same agent I'd been chasing for 15 years. And they said, this is the one we've been waiting for. How much have you got written? Well, I've got three chapters written and uh, lied and said, oh, I've got a bit more than that. But I just thought you might want the first three chapters. Um, I think that Elizabeth at the agency knew I was lying and just said, well, feed it to me when you get more chapters. So that was it. You know, I'd got my foot in the door and at night I'd got the kids settled. There were only babies. Uh, and I started to write this book and I was writing through the night, getting a few chapters done, sending it off, sending it off. I was terrified that they'd get to the last chapter and she'd say, well, I liked it right up to that last page. And then, you know, it all fell flat. So I sent the first three chapters of another book that I had a, about an, an idea I had. Uh, and sent that in as well. Uh, and that is how I got my break. She said, this is the one I've been waiting for. Um, well, obviously, as you know, just because you get an agent, it isn't a guarantee that you're going to get a publisher. And that was quite scary, just waiting, having it sent out and saying, we've sent it out to five people. And then a couple of rejects came back. Oh, it was terrible. I told the whole family, please do not ring me. The only telephone call I want is from the age I was literally just sitting staring at this phone wanting it to ring and I did get a deal I did the day before um Suzanne Babineau at Simon and Schuster was going off to the Frankfurt book fair she met my agent in town and, and she said yes this I want this I want this book and that was it you know I never looked back all these years I'd been looking for a, a, a winning formula and it was really my life you know and my experiences that that kicked it all off and the North, ironically, I was avoiding the North because I didn't think it would be popular and uh, silly me. <laughs> but I got there in the end. <laughs> you certainly did. What do you think would have happened, though, if you hadn't made it at that point? Would you have persevered? I think I would have had to break through in the end because there was nothing I really wanted to do. And I'm a determined little soul. And I wouldn't have stopped because I had that comment on a on an agent's rejection slip that said your work is of a publishable quality. I think that is all I needed to carry on, that I could be published. My work was publishable. I just needed to find the story. And I, th I think I would have found it. I'd have found something. Um, you would have done because I keep finding it time after time. So I, I would have. I would have. 
Well, completely changing the subject, can I ask you about your appearance on Come Dine With Me? How did that come about? Oh, <laughs> oh a friend of mine must have had a, an email. I think Come Down With Me send out emails to all the industries in the area looking for people to go on the show. And she sent it to me and said, go on. She said, you know you want to. And I, I couldn't think of anything worse. I went, you're joking. I couldn't do that. And she went, think of your book sales. It'd be brilliant PR. And uh, that was the the swinger. You know, I thought, okay. So I applied and I, I left it in the lap of the gods. And I thought, if I get through, then it's meant to be. If I don't, I'll forget about it. And I got through every stage. It, it was mad. It was probably the maddest week of my life. And also the most fun. I mean, what you don't see on that program that happens behind the scenes. I mean, we weren't getting home till four o'clock in the morning. We were absolutely rattled, the lot of us. I think the first night we had 14 bottles of wine between us. Um, I'm still in touch with them. I'm still in touch with the film crew that were around the producer. I, got, I had some really lovely mates that came out of, of that program. It was wonderful. And my figures went up. The third book had come out. And um, my figures for that book, because the camera just shot straight in on this book, they went up by 30% overnight. So I never expected to win. I did it for PR, you know, so I did it all hearts and flowers and romance. And uh, and then, blow me, I won as well. <laughs> I was gobsmacked. I, I just didn't expect it. And I think I put about three stone on that week. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was filmed quite a while ago now, wasn't it? But do people still recognise you from it? Yeah, every time it comes on, I get loads and loads of emails. And I, wa I was once on a cruise, you know, um, about oh, five years ago. And all the staff were looking at me really weird. And I thought, what have I done? You know, have I somehow got a reputation as a, as a difficult, um, you know, holiday maker? And what had happened, it, they'd screened Come Down With Me on Sky or whatever. They, uh, and, and so all the, the people who were watching TV, all the staff on the ship, were watching me on Come Down With Me and recognised me. So that was a really nice bonus, you know? I felt like a film star. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about when your readers get to meet you? What sort of things do they want to talk to you about? Do they want to tell you about their own experiences? Oh, all the time. Um, readers are full of their own stories. that uh, They might want to see immortalised in books. Um, they also want to tell you about how your books have affected them, the changes they've made in their lives and and thanking you for taking them out of the zone sometimes. And they're lovely romantic stories that, you know, that people have, have regenerated into different people just by reading one of my books and dumped a man and gone on and found somebody else, started up businesses and they are so keen to tell you. They want to tell you, mainly to your face. To, I promised I'd tell you this story. And it, it's lovely that. What a compliment. Because I don't think any of us set out to change lives. We set off to write stories and entertain people. But words are incredibly powerful. And, and they, they do this. They change people's lives. Well, that leads on nicely, actually, for me to ask you, who have you chosen as your RNA60 author? And why have you chosen her? I've chosen to to talk about Carol Matthews because um, I encountered a Carol Matthews book many years ago when I was in this um, this cycle of frustration, wanting to be an author. Well, she was new on the market, and I got her first book 
which was I think let's meet on platform eight. I think I'm, I think that's right. Um, and uh, I got it free with a, a box of tea bags. I took it home. Uh, I bought the tea bags just for the book. Let's meet on platform eight. That's right. It was. And I I absolutely just ate it. I ate this book. You know, I, I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. Um, and then um, a whiff of scandal had come out. I think that was a second one. So I, I bought that as well. Now, I was I was really strapped for cash at the time. So me buying a book was an investment, you know, but I didn't want to borrow it. I wanted to buy it. I like to keep these books. And I read a whiff of scandal. Absolutely loved it. And Carol was represented by the agent that I ended up chasing because he'd got Carol Matthews on his, um, you know, on his client list. And I, I wanted to write like Carol. And so I I chose this agent to torture for 15 years. Uh, and when I eventually did break through, I got the same agent as Carol Matthews. It was like massive, you know. And then I was doing um, a, a library event near to Carol and she turned up. And I met her and she was so gracious. And, and we became over the years really good mates. You know, we started off with having our careers, our book careers as the common denominator. But Carol was was very wise. And when she moved agencies, I moved agencies to be with the same because I, I, I loved this agent. I, I thought it was time that we shifted and I moved it with Carol to another agency. But Carol taught me things um, about life. You know, we, we, we didn't whenever we talked, we didn't talk about books that much, but just life and crafting. She sent me craft presents and she guided me through the waters of the menopause. And she. She has become a brilliant, loyal, fabulous mate, very wise, you know. What Carol doesn't know about the book industry isn't worth talking about. And and sometimes I'd ask her things, you know, because it's a quite a solitary profession is writing. Um, and unless you know someone who is in this job to guide you through things and uh, um, to, to ask advice, there isn't a handbook to it at all. And Carol helped me make some of the big decisions in life, you know, like moving agents and and was a brilliant mate and still is. I, I love her to bits. And what is it in particular about Carol's books that draws you in as a reader? Certainly on Let's Meet on Platform 8, I remember being hauled in to this book as if someone had grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and just pulled me into the pages. And she's always had the ability to do that, considering she's written about three million books Every single one is is different. And one of the questions I, I used to ask myself about authors was, how can they find so much to write about, you know? And Carol always did. And she was a bit of a leader, you know, with, with the, the chocolate books. Um, she wrote about going off to Nepal. I loved that story. I think it was called With or Without You. And it was a woman who, you know, she's dumped by a boyfriend. And, um, and he says, you know, it's not working. And she just takes herself off to Nepal. And I... I was dragged into these wonderful worlds about which I knew nothing about. And I, I never for one minute thought that the author didn't know anything about this world and was making it all up. She always wrote with conviction. Uh, I think she used to be an aromatherapist, which is why A Whiff of Scandal is, is so, it's about an aromatherapist. And it's, it's written from a, 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 a standpoint of someone who really knows what they're talking about. And that's what I always felt with Carol's books, that she always knew what she was talking about and the, the dynamics of relationships. And she makes me laugh. She makes me laugh 
and and she also makes me cry. You know, there's a story about um, is it a place like home where there's a, a woman there who's who's uh, fleeing an abused marriage, and and she had that ability to make me laugh and cry. Catherine Cookson made me cry. She didn't make me laugh so much. But other novelists who can make you laugh when you're reading. And Carol did, you know, she gave me the full gamut of emotions when I was reading her books. Some were funnier than others. I chortled all the way through A Whiff of Scandal. I thought it was great. I thought it reminded me of, of kind of a an Agatha Christie story in this this lovely little village, etc. You know, and, and I, I don't know why any of them haven't been made into films. I've chuckled at some more than I've cried, and I've cried at some more than I have chuckled. But Every single book is different, and I've I've loved them all. I haven't read them all. There's a couple I haven't read, but I've just got the latest one in, which is marvellous for self-isolation. And I thought, what this is manna from heaven for me. I'm going to sit in the garden and read this while I'm off. <laughs> well, if you think about the protagonists in Carol's books, do you have a particular favourite? Um, oh, craggy, I can't remember her name. But A Whiff of Scandal... As I say, it's, a, it's one of her early books, but I, I think because of of me discovering this this author, I um, I'm trying to think what she was called. I, sh- I should know this. It's Rose, which of course it would be an aromatherapist. I just really, really enjoyed the character. I thought she was lovely. I loved all the scandal, uh, and as I say, because I'd read Let's Meet on Platform Eight. And then I was now onto a whiff of scandal. I thought I found an author that I really enjoyed. There's nothing worse than reading a brilliant book, going out and buying their backlist and realising that they've, you've seen their finest hour in the first one and all the other ones just don't fit you as a reader. But as soon as I'd read a, a whiff of scandal, which was very different to the first one, but was flavoured with Carol Matthews, then I thought, yeah, I'm in here. I'm in. I know that the next one I pick up is going to be different, but I'm going to enjoy it as well. In interviews, both you and Carol have said that you used to think people like me don't become authors. Is that an attitude that now you're both established and successful, you've discussed with each other? And what did you think a typical author was? Well, what I thought a typical author wasn't was a a woman from the North writing about the North who had absolutely no connections with the publishing industry, didn't know anybody in the know. Um, I I imagined, I think, that it was a bit more like an elitist club. I I just had these dreams of being an author and wanting to write books, but I didn't know how to go about it. So I I had to learn. I had to learn everything about the industry. I've probably spoken to Carol. I mean, we've spoken about so many things over the years and We've probably had this conversation about how we, we started off. I know she had a lot of jobs and 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 same with me. You know, these these jobs are the things that inform your writing. I think we both needed to have um, a life experience before we wrote. Uh, and Carol and myself continue to have life experiences which fuel our writing and make us write so many different stories. And what we don't know, we'll learn. And what do you think other writers can learn from Carol? Well, I, I think they can probably learn from Carol what I learned from Carol. Um, I, I don't know if it just becomes part of you, but every single book, as I say, that she's written is Carol Matthews flavoured, but they're all very, very different. And I, I think that any aspiring writer who has that fear of not being able to dredge up more than one idea for one book 
can look at someone like Harlow, who is a, who is a master in, in my book, of finding trends like she did with the Chocolate Lovers series. You know, that was massive. You know, she, she honed straight in on that. And the, the books went nuts to the extent that she wrote more and more about that. Everybody loves chocolate. And she manages to spot a trend like the crafting with the, the Paper Hearts book. She sees things that are around her. You know, sometimes when, when I was myself looking for an idea for a book and then realized that all the ideas were in front of my face, that is almost a skill in itself in seeing what is in front of your face. And I think Carol does that expertly, that she can tap into so many storylines that are buzzing around us every day and, and make a novel out of them. And, and so that we can identify with someone commuting or someone having their own little business, someone being dumped, someone falling for a younger man. She's brilliant at spotting um, trends that are all around us or about to burst onto the scene. I also think that I would advise any young writer to, to read a Carol book. Read it first just for pleasure. And then afterwards, go and read it analytically. Read it with a different eye and, and read how she's managed to convey how a, one of her protagonists is sad and what's going through her brain and how she makes us laugh and how she makes us cry. I think that all of her books are, are little masterclasses in, in that. And I think if you read them analytically, you can see the skill set that she's got in drawing you into a story and, and making you emotionally involved. So for anyone who hasn't read a Carol Matthews novel, which one would you recommend they read first? Well, it's an old one, but I, I love A Whiff of Scandal. I think that's my favourite. But I also, um, at the other end of the scale, because that was quite whimsical and quite cheeky, I felt that was quite, she was a bit like Jane Austen in this book. It was She was taking the mick out of these characters and it was brilliant. But also for the heartfelt one, the with or without you, when, when the character goes off to Nepal, is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'm not really into travel books, I'll be honest with you. I like my books set in Britain, but this one just swept my heart out of my chest. It battered it, mended it, and then put it back again. I thought it was gorgeous. So I, a whiff of scandal and with or without you, I just can't decide between them. But I'd, I'd, if I had, if somebody had a gun to my head and write, okay, pick a book, pick a book, I'd go for a whiff of scandal. And then when they put the gun down, I'd say, with or without you. <laughs> <laughs> well, to finish, if we can go back to your writing and your relationship with the RNA, you won, of course, in March this year, the RNA's Outstanding Achievement Award. So what does the RNA mean to you and how has it influenced your writing career? I was um, a bit of a prat. Uh, in not joining the RNA right at the beginning, because I was determined to join it as a published author. Right? That was my one thing. I thought I'm going to when I'm a published author, that's my treat. I'm going to join the RNA. And I think I was a, a fool for that, really, because when I did join the RNA and I saw coming up through the ranks, young writers or new writers who hadn't written a book and wanted to write a book and were on with writing a book. And I saw the level of support that they got and the friendship and just going to conferences and parties, 
that they could mingle with other authors and learn about the craft and learn about the jargon and learn about the the logistics of being an author and what you had to do and when you have to put your PLR books down and all this advice that I'd missed out of just because I was so stubborn that I wanted to join it as a published author. It has brought me much inspiration. It's brought me a whole host of wonderful friends. It's connected me with my heroes, to be honest, you know, who have ever thought once upon a time that me who wanted to write books would, would count Jill Mansell, Carol Matthews, Katie Ford as me pals, you know, lovely, lovely women who have got time for advice, friendship, we don't always talk about books, you know, we're connected on a personal level and talk about life. And it's brought me a lot, support, friendship. Um, and um, the parties are legendary. I love the house parties when we go on conferences, just gathering together in kitchens. I feel like a, I feel like a really naughty student. So it's, it's reconnected me with my youth. To be quite honest as well, I couldn't I couldn't drink like that when I was that age, you know, but um, we bond, you know, we bond over Prosecco and cakes and chat. So in short, it's brought me support, friendship, knowledge. It's the most wonderful organisation. And it's it's great to see, as I say, these young um, or new authors who want to write a book and then the next minute they've been signed up. And then they've won their third book and you see them coming through the ranks and it's lovely. We can all celebrate with each other. It's a merry, merry band of people. I, I love them. I love that we can all learn from each other going to the lectures. We, we're still, we're always learning on the job. And, and I hope nobody is, is, is a, a fool like I was and wants to wait until they have got a book published before they join. Join as soon as you are able would be my advice. Oh, Millie Johnston, thanks very much. It's been really nice to talk to you about your writing and about your RNA60 choice, Carol Matthews. Thank you very much for having me. Stay safe. And dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Millie Johnson and Carol Matthews, can be found at windhamaudio.com forward slash RNA. That's Wyndham, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, audio.com forward slash RNA. Take care, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Shared Stars gave